this land if they live righteously. It is time for another episode of The Cultural Halt. Now, in vision, if this episode works out the way that I think in my brain it's going to work out, you will hear from many, many people about what they think their top stories of 2023 are. In fact, so many people, we will chat until we have 23 stories of 2023. It's a theme. Uh, So there will be some new voices, voices that you have never heard before. And the way that they were able to be a part of this is, well, maybe they're related. We'll talk about that in a second. Or, you know, maybe they're a Patreon saint of the Cold Draw. Maybe both. Maybe they're going to be future folks that you'll hear more of. That's not this person, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe we'll have Robert back in. Uh, Robert Mortensen, my cousin, from an, another loving, I don't know. What, what do you say? Cousin from another, it doesn't rhyme if you say another mother. Well, I think we have to clarify for the listening audience that uh-huh. we are not cousins. Yeah, we <laughs> were, we were third cousins. Uh-huh. Once removed, your uh-huh. dad and I are third cousins. So, yeah. Yeah. So, your dad's uh, side and my, mom, my mom's side. Yeah, we're basically brothers is what this is. Right. I mean, you said removed and third cousin and all this stuff, yeah. but uh, <laughs> what happened one ill-fated night at the uh, local grocery store, Robert behind me, and we both had our, our you know, who is your family nearby apps. Right. And it pinged. I have mine to go off automatically, and his pinged, and we turned around and went, cousin? And here we are. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm grateful that you're willing to do this. This is the first yeah, of the pleasure. news that's going to be coming into this. I would be curious. It's not a familiar relation, though, that brought you to the cultural hall. How do you know about it? And then uh, how long have you been listening, all that kind of stuff? Uh, my dad's been a longtime listener. I think he goes way back. And uh, I've been a big podcast listener for a long time, but I always felt limited in how much time I had. But mm-hmm. uh, I, when when I discovered our our cousin connection, I was like, I got to listen to this more. Oh, so it's been a couple of years. So just just out of solid family solidarity for you. Thank uh, you. But, Thank but you. man, it's I, I've really, really enjoyed it. Now it's my go to podcast. If I see a new episode. It's the one I listen to next. Oh, so. oh, that's nice. Tell me, uh, do you have a favorite episode? That's a difficult question for some people, but. Ooh, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy the articles of news just because I'm a news junkie, mm-hmm. but also uh, the interviews you have, they're always, they're always interesting. Mm-hmm. So, and, and really with that, that's probably why I became a Patreon supporter too, just because uh, it's both entertaining and enriching. Yeah. So, ah. All right. Well, love like you, Richie. Yeah, in Richie Ying. Uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Uh, who knows? We may do the top 24 stories in 2024 and flash forward a year's time from right now. You could be in the hot seat as Robert is. Robert, uh, whether or not this episode goes well is entirely on your shoulders right now. Oppression. I would love it if you would tell me what you feel like. Uh, one of your, you're going to present three, I think, one of your three yes, top stories of 2023 are. All right. Well, first one for me, I'm in the Boise, Idaho area. So we had the Lori Vallow Daybell trial here. Oh, in yeah. And so for me, that was a big one. Um, I've been following this case like a junkie since 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, our boy, Nate Eaton there at East Idaho News, just Every every update he's followed, even during the trial, I was following his minute by minute Twitter updates. And so um, so the Lori Vallow case was was huge. She had her trial 
that began here in, in Idaho back in April, and it lasted seven weeks. Um, tantalizing details coming out every day. And uh, then she was sentenced on, in July, and that had all kind of spectacle surrounding that. And so anyway, just a big, big news story. So if anyone hasn't heard of the Lori Vallow Daybell trial, we need you to move to Boise because Chad goes on trial this next year. And we need more people that live under rocks because I don't know how they're going to get an impartial jury. So. Well, and it seems like it's going to be such a TV spectacle as well, because the judge yeah. has said, yeah, broadcast it, bring it in. Yep. That's fine. Let's do it. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't broadcast Lori's. They would do audio releases later in the day. But Chad's, they're going to be able to live stream through the through the judicial cameras, which aren't very good. But, you know, we're we're still interested to see what happens here. Uh, what I love about the judicial cameras, uh, too, is that people go, can can we maybe we need to send more money to the judicial system because these cameras are terrible or, you know, yeah. everyone will be like, why is it so far back? Or can we turn the camera a little bit like it? People will start to engage in stuff like that and be like, why is this not like I see on my court TV or my, you know, these other things that are highly produced? It's like, no, they're just they're just they just have the camera on so that you can be able to witness this. Yeah, exactly. And so I've been thinking a lot about like, why have I been so morbidly curious about this whole case? And mm -hmm. I've had to have some some deep self introspection, some uh, honest vulnerability with myself. But I think a lot of it, I mean, part of it's because it happened in states that I've lived in, Idaho, Utah, Arizona. Mm -hmm. um, I, and also also because they have roots in our faith. So we have that those shared roots. Um, and I think that uh, a lot of us can relate to seeking personal revelation for our lives, and we're constantly seeking for divine guidance. Um, but then to see, see something that we hold so sacred and pure turned to evil mm -hmm. for dark purposes, it just feels like such a sense of betrayal. And yeah. so I think, I don't know, for me, I think that's what's been driving my curiosity with this case and following every detail of it. Uh, being in the Idaho area, I know certainly uh, even nationally, probably internationally as well, this story has been followed a lot in Boise slash, you know, that the Idaho area. Is it as much as I would think it would be that everyone is following this or certainly within the churches that as many people are following this? Or is it just for people like yourself that are like, man, this is the thing I can't get enough of? Yeah, I suspect there's more people following it in this area just because it's on the local news a lot more frequently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely church members seem to be a lot more interested in the case. Okay. All right. So Lori Vallow, he says, the Lori Vallow trial specifically, that's story number one of 2023. Tell yeah. me, where are we going for story number two? <laughs> well, this one's probably got to be one of the good feel-good stories of the year. Kenneth Rooks. A uh, young man from Walla Walla, Washington, served a mission in the Uganda mission uh, in July at the 2023 U.S. Outdoor Track and Field Championships held in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, he ran the steeplechase. And for the steeplechase, it's a 3,000-meter race. It has hurdles. It has a water jump. And he, uh, two and a half minutes into the race, he's in the middle of the pack. Um the guy in front of him stutter steps and it disrupts everyone's timing. Uh, Kenneth goes right into the hurdle, uh, right into the barrier and he he's last place and he's way back. It falls right into yeah, the he barrier, falls on falls the ground. to the ground. Yeah. Yep. And he, he gradually makes his way back up to the middle of the pack 
And then really on that last lap, uh, he gets up amongst the top three leaders. And then on the last straightaway, he takes off and, and he ends up winning the, the championship. Um, so anyway, it made, it made news stories across the globe. It was all over social media and a lot of shout outs from people like, uh, RG3, Robert Griffith III, and NBC Olympics, all the all the major sports news networks were sharing the story about this BYU track athlete through sheer grit, determination, just come with a, an amazing victory. Uh, so really, really inspiring story. Uh, Kenneth also went on to be on the Church News podcast with Sarah Jane Weaver. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> really, what a great example of a young man representing BYU, representing the church. Uh, a lot of great spiritual parallels to his story about falling, but also even his his mental and spiritual physical preparation going into the race. He had predetermined, if he fell, what would I do? And yeah. that's exactly what he did. So so uh, I haven't listened to that uh, particular episode with Sarah Jane Weaver. So he talks about like in the, you know, with athletes, they look, they look into these things forward, uh, just kind of in their brain. Okay, well, what will happen? And so he talks about if I fell, I knew what I was going to yeah. do and and walked already through that. Yeah, exactly. And wow. so, yeah, it, it was a great, uh, we should put a, a link in the notes maybe, but that was a great podcast with him. Really, really inspiring young man. Uh, his a little bit of fame and celebrity got him some NIL. Uh, yeah, there you go. Some NIL money. Uh, he ended up going on to compete in Worlds and finished 10th. Mm-hmm. So super respectable. So he still has two years left of college as well. So. So let's uh, hope for more great stuff out of Kenneth Rooks. You know, dark horse candidate for one of the top 23 stories of 2023. I bet some people, I mean, certainly a, a lot of people that listen to the cultural hall will remember that we talked about that story. Uh, but I, I don't know that, uh, that everyone would think, Hey, that's going to be there. I love it. Uh, as you've mentioned for the inspiration of it, there will be a lot of these stories that will be like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to make it through another year with stories like this? But this is one. I was glad to see that it was on your list. Kenneth Rooks. And as you mentioned, all the links of the different things that we talk about in all of this episode will be available in the show notes. And that's a shout out to, uh, Megan Gordon, who, uh, makes that possible. She goes through, this is crazy. Most people don't know this. She listens to the episodes before I publish them and writes down all of the different links and then sends them to me. Cause guess what? I ain't got time for that. So thanks Megan. Uh, take us home. This is the last story. You are number three of 2023. Where are we going? All right. For me, this is really interesting because it's going to have direct impact. Uh, the church just, I think in the last month released changes to, uh, especially impacting the Intermountain West, they're standardizing the number of people, number of members, active members for wards and stakes. Mm-hmm. So for years, it's been in the Intermountain West, where right here in the Jello Belt, we had uh, we had a certain level number of members, active members, tithe, full tithe pairs, temple hold, temple recommend holders. Mm-hmm. But now, and internationally, it was much smaller. Mm-hmm. So now they're standardizing it. So for example. Um, it used to be in the Intermountain West, the U.S. and Canada, you had to have 3,000 members to have a stake. Now they're only requiring 2,000 members. Mm-hmm. And then to create a ward, they need just 20 active full tithe paying Melchizedek priesthood holders. Um, those numbers used to be different and only 100 participating adults. So um, my stake, my stake presidency finishes their nine-year term here in February and our stake has grown enough and we have some wards dividing 
that it's very likely that these changes will immediately impact my stake. We'll probably be splitting into two stakes because we already meet those numbers. Uh, so really fascinating uh, to think about the implications of it, the advantages and disadvantages, building logistics. I don't know how, I mean, you could potentially cram five or six wards in a building. Um, I don't, I, we have, we have so many units in our stake. We only have three buildings. And if we make a second stake, I'm not sure how they're going to do it, but, but we'll see. Um, Saturday also, church is the answer, Robert. Yeah. There will be a certain number who are able to choose to go on Saturday. That's how they're going to listen. And then you get Sunday off. It's, it's a fair trade and it doesn't matter right. how it's what's in your heart, how you worship. That's what you get is. a discount on tithing. If you go on Saturday, Yeah, exactly. Listen, we know it's an inconvenience. <laughs> We're going to knock it down to 8%. Uh, and then next year you can be back on Sunday. And then we rotate through the Saturday. And then you go later, 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 later. And then Sunday morning. And then later, later, later. And then back to Saturday. See, it's a plan. Yeah. So as far as being a big news story for 2023, I think we'll see the implications and results starting to happen in 2024. Hmm. So uh, it's, it's setting the table. I'm predicting it's going to have a significant impact on our culture. Tell me, why, tell, tell me a little bit more about that. Because... The the uh, most of the speculation that I've seen is fairly negative, and I'll explain why I mean that. Uh, it's um, that you know we feel like the the church certainly along the Jello Belt is starting to shrink a little bit, and so the speculation that I've heard is that the, the church is going, man, we had this higher expectation, and we don't want to be like, man, we lost a thousand wards this last year, so let's lower the standard. So we can say that we're either, we're staying as many as we can as we have, or that we're able to grow them in some areas that we weren't before. It's increasing. Uh, it's increasing it for other places, right? I think it was like fifteen fifteen hundred for a stake somewhere else, and yeah. three thousand for you know United States and Canada, and we all are going to two thousand. Yeah. I, I, the only advantage that I see. Um, like from that perspective is us being able to say, we didn't lose 20 stakes this year. We stayed the same or in areas of growth, like everyone moving to Boise because they hate California. You can be like, yeah, you know, we got another stake here. Yeah. You know, for me, I really think the, the big impact is going to come to uh, the, in your award, you're going to be needed. Yeah. There's going to be more leadership opportunities. And when you're involved in leadership, you're, you're more engaged. You're, mm -hmm. you're just, you're you're almost compelled to get outside yourself and and love and serve in meaningful ways. So you're you're needed. Your leadership is going to be needed in those smaller units. So less hopefully, I mean the hope is that people will be less likely to slip through the cracks and that we can just have closer more intimate ministering uh, one to another from from stake leaders, from ward leaders. So that that's where my hope is at. Uh, but you're you're totally right there are a lot of other challenges. There could be uh, youth groups seems when they're like those when they're larger they're more robust and more interesting. Mm -hmm. We're gonna have to figure out how to do that with smaller youth groups and things like that. But yeah, but, yeah, we'll see. There where we it go. Takes. That's the uh, the top uh, stories of 2023 according to my cousin Robert. So there you go, you guys. That is the first part of this episode. Uh, when we uh, come back, we'll do four, five, and six, or or who knows? Who knows how this episode is gonna work out? Robert, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Richie. 
All right, we're continuing through the top 23 stories. Again, the vision of this thing, whether or not it comes into fruition. You may get to the end of this episode and be like, they did like 10 things. Uh, We already had one through three, and we introduce and welcome a new voice to the Cultural Hall for uh, four, five, and six. Aaron Ryan, welcome into the Cultural Hall. Thank you, Richie. Thank you. Uh, Now, uh, you'll hear he ain't from around these parts, as it were, as we're visiting today. Uh, you uh, don't live in Utah. You are our are, are what Eastern, Southern, Coastern uh, voice in this news thing. Uh, originally from South Carolina, uh, grew up in East Georgia, and now currently in North Alabama in the Huntsville, Madison area. Okay, okay. And uh, you were mentioning before we started recording, you're not sure how you found the cultural hall. Any any other thoughts as to how you might have uh, been introduced well, or? I Googled uh, LDS or Mormon podcast. I, I, was, I couldn't remember if it was my best guess is five, six, maybe seven years ago. Okay. Okay. So I've not heard them all. It was pre brother Kyle. Jeez. Uh, I think Janae and I was a pretty frequent, uh, for pretty frequent host back then. Um, and there was another guy whose name I cannot remember. But so yeah, we had DJ here. Rob at that point, who I just found out uh, today when I went to breakfast with him that he's a DJ. I didn't know that until uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was the joke for a long time going. Uh, Britt was another one that was around. He's come and gone. In fact, as I was thinking about, as we embark in now what is the 13th year of the cultural hall, uh, that uh, there have been a lot of people that have sort of come and gone, both literally uh, like a, a brother Kyle, God rest his soul. And then also those who just said, Hey, this is a thing for me for a season. And now I am, I am done. So, yeah. So, uh, okay. Okay. Uh, do you have a particular favorite episode or favorite kind of episodes that you're like, Oh yeah, I get, I love this when this is here. You know, I'm, uh, I enjoy the, I guess the articles of news most, uh-huh. uh, most often it's good dog walking material for me. I like uh, my in my day job. I'm an attorney and deal with a lot of sort of heavy stuff. Okay. So the heavy news sort of, uh, uh, I, I kind of enjoy that the most. The cultural stuff, eh, you know, but the heavy news, the, the the how does it make us feel about the direction of the church? Those sorts of stories intrigue me most. Nice, nice. Well, uh, you like others uh, have been tasked with coming up what you think the three most important stories to you. For 2023 are or were in this case now that it is 2024 as we're recording and so i will turn it to you tell me what you think uh and they're in no particular order except we had to put them in some sort of order what's the first story you wanted to talk yeah. about uh, the first story in my mind was the uh and i'm reading from the ap news the mormon church fund for obscuring 32 billion investment portfolio this was back early summer when the sec fined the church uh five million for I guess uh, not filling out the forms properly when it mm-hmm. comes to investment disclosure. And in this story and the other two I've chosen kind of have a broad and overarching theme for me, which is that of transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been serving now in our ward bishopric for four and a half years. And I have learned something about myself. And that is that I have a strong testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, my testimony <laughs> of the administration of the gospel of Jesus Christ is an entirely different matter. Sure. And so I, I, have, I, love, I have learned. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I love that that was like, I need you to know I believe. And, and right. here we go. So, yeah, yeah. sorry about that. Yeah, I, I think two things can be true, right? And mm-hmm. so um, in, in dealing in sort of an administrative function in my calling for the past four and a half years, which I have loved, has been my, far and away my favorite calling aside from being a missionary. I've learned that you know, the gospel is, is one thing. 
Um, but we are fallible folks who are left to try to administer the gospel to others. And so I think this is a perfect example of that. Do I think that President Nelson was directing uh, Enzyme Investments or Peak Investments to fill out this form improperly or to hide something? No, I don't think that at all. Mm -hmm. I think you've got infallible people who were who simply messed up. And I think that uh, for me, at least, um, I see this. I think, boy, that, that was a, a dumb mistake to have been made. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, as someone who does a lot of paperwork, I can see how that can be made. I'm able to just sort of separate those two issues. However, one of the, the key points of this story, though, at least in my mind, is will this lead to greater transparency or cause for greater transparency mm -hmm. from the membership of the church? You know, it seems like I remember there used to be back in General Conference a session or a part of a session where they talked about sort of more some numbers of the church, whether it was number of missionaries. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like I recall conversations or at least disclosures of money back then. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't do that now. And I we just wonder if, it, if at some point, if maybe the church doesn't move toward maybe greater disclosure in some smaller incremental steps just to satisfy that vocal faction that wants that, that information. Yeah. yeah uh, the thing that I have, have found and, and why I sort of agree with you that it's one of the top stories of the year is, is that there is so much to be discussed around it from the very transparency issue like you're talking about. But if if there was some sort of nefarious someone, again, I don't think that President Nelson is twisting his non-existent mustache and saying, let us make this happen and right. I want all this. <clears throat> but, but it seems that there, you know, that there there was at least some knowledge somewhere of hey guys this may not be the best decision that we're doing or we can do this should we really be doing this that you know some people somewhere had to say yes go ahead make it so we're going to do this and so to me i just am like yeah, yeah not only make it a transparent thing but another part of that conversation too was there, the one person that was quoted in one of the uh, documentaries or docu-series about it, where uh, he, he said something to the effect of, we are concerned that if members of the church know how much money we have, they'll no longer pay tithing. Yeah, so so I, I think that's, that's a really good point. And, and there's, I guess, sort of maybe tangentially to that. I Before law school, I worked in a large credit union where I was responsible for our daily cash flow and managing our investment portfolio. So I've got a little bit of a background in this. We would have to report once a month to an executive committee what we were investing in, why we bought what we bought. And beyond that, Richie, we were incredibly limited mm -hmm. into the types of investments that we could purchase. By and large, they were bonds or certified mortgage-backed securities, very low-risk, conservative-type mm -hmm. uh, stuff. But you see, what the, you know, the church, you learn, also has invested in the GameStop phenomenon. Sure. Right, back during COVID. And so those things sort of make me wonder. It's like, well, are they not disclosing for exactly what you said? Well, you know, church members may say, why am I paying tithing if they're sitting on a trove of $50 billion or whatever? Mm -hmm. You know, or why is the church investing in GameStop, which was, you know, a phenomenon in and of itself? Should they be in more conservative type investments? Mm -hmm. Those are things that, you know, I would be curious to know more about. And so I, I just wonder if this is going to cause a greater push to transparency financially for the church. Yeah, certainly more discussion about it, because you also hear people that will say things like, well, is there any difference then between this and gambling? Mm, 
Maybe, maybe not. Uh, is it money that is tithing that is even in these funds? Or is this the growth that's on the tithing? You know, that's another discussion that people have had. Uh, and and then maybe even the bigger uh, from the other side of it is, you know, the discussion of, I want my church to make as much money as possible. They're going to need as much money as possible. Or the pushback of, well, how much should they have? Is fifty billion the amount they have? They should have. Is twenty five billion the amount they have? And and no one. And it's an impossible uh, thing to do to say this is how much we should have that should be invested. This is how much the things that we're building should cost. This is how much should go to help other people. There will always be critics in all of those things. And so, so many of those des- discussions just drummed up and riled up over that particular story. Yeah, it, 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 it's an impossible subject to manage from the church's perspective. I just, I don't know how you do it. I think that maybe a little more disclosure probably is helpful, a little more transparency, but there's, you know, you're never going to be able to satisfy everyone. No, but I do like the idea of, even if we just went back to how we were before, and in some countries, they don't allow you to not be uh, more transparent. You know, I want to say in the United Kingdom, as far as financial things, and I think Australia as well, they're like, we need to know how much and where it is and what it's doing. And in the United States, we're like, and everybody but the churches. (laughs) You know, Uh, and then uh, you have uh, another story. I, I like that all of yours are sort of the ones that that people can go, yeah, I feel a little of this and a little of that and a little of this. So take me to your story. Number five. All right, you mentioned the UK, so let's just, that's a perfect seg. In the UK, the church is now required to do background searches uh, on folks who are serving with youth or vulnerable adults. Um, I like this one a lot. As someone who is also a mandatory reporter in my state, um, this makes sense to me, and I wonder why is this limited to just the UK, right? Mm-hmm. So back in the spring, it seems like there was a push by a group of saints in the UK to require the church uh, to do background checks on individuals who are serving with um, you, or it says, I'm sorry, prices keep children and vulnerable adults safe from abuse. Um, and so there was, there seems to have been some sort of a campaign to require the church to do mandatory DBS, which is disclosure and barring service for anyone serving with younger and vulnerable members. And so it, it seems to me as someone, Richie, who has, has had to deal with church members and have learned things about certain church members um, from their past, whether it's a criminal activity or something like that, mm-hmm. um, to I know of personally of church members who are not allowed to serve um, within, have certain callings be with youth or children. Um, and I wonder, you know, I, I know that because of my professional capacity, having dealt with certain individuals. But if I weren't in the bishopric or weren't in a leadership position or this wasn't in my ward, how does that information get brought out if that individual doesn't bring it up themselves? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I just wonder why haven't we pushed that issue or brought that issue to be mandatory here in the U.S. or in other parts of maybe the more you know, the Western world, I guess. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, you know, and and we've had the discussions because that certainly this is not the first time that it's come up within here in the cultural hall. And I think that there's I think that it's a hard this one, maybe more than any of the other ones are hard for people uh, is hard for people to grapple with because on the one hand, um, those background checks, I mean, the stipulations of which someone could be flagged in a background check, like they have to have, you know, been, uh, accused and it has to have gone to some sort of court thing or, you know, whatever right. the things, right. 
Um, and so people will push back and go, well, it's only going to like 1% of the people that do this ever have a prior of it. So what are we going to keep out 1% and do all this? So there's that, the pushback of the cost of doing it. And certainly that would be quite the undertaking as far as a cost goes. And then the other side of it is that I think that there's something, it's an undertone and I haven't had any guests or, or anyone really talk about it, but for some reason, I think they, they feel like there's like a negating of the atonement or the repentance process when we label a person, uh, you know, unable to be able to do it. Well, don't you believe that that person can be forgiven? Don't you believe that they can have a second chance? And, and, and I, and, and I, in my mind, I go, yes. And also they shouldn't be around children. Right. Yeah. So, so from a risk management perspective, right. If I'm the church, um, I've got to be careful because if I put someone in a calling who, who I knew or should have knew or have known has a history of abuse in, in this example, and, and then they carry that out right in their calling. Now I, the church am responsible for that, right? I could, I could be liability could be put upon me. And so I just almost wonder from the church's perspective, is that, is that safety net of running the background check, even if it doesn't show anything, mm -hmm. You know, does that give them maybe a valid defense if something were to happen? Sure. So from well, almost from a risk manager perspective. You know, and Kurt Frankham over at Leading Saints, someone who, whose opinion I actually appreciate quite a bit on things like this. Uh, he doesn't speak for the church, obviously, but, is uh, you know, has had several leadership callings and does the podcast Leading Saints, which is all about leadership within the church. You know, he talked about... Um, one of the things that can be a detriment of a background check is that then it, it, well, first of all, it's like a thing like gun control where we're like, yeah, we did something. Yeah. And, and right. doesn't really do anything. But then the other, the other part of it is, is that some people then they go, oh, that person's been background checked and then throw all sort of suspicion out of the way. Like they put too much stock in the background yeah. check and, and, and again, this is one where some people will hear some of our back and forth and go, yes, I agree with Aaron. Boy, Richie is way off on this. Boy, I think that that's sure, right? And it just is a, it's a struggle within everyone to know, hey, you know, is this a thing we should do? And I just think we're a church of doing everything the same everywhere. So the UK did it. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the uni I think uniformity is really what a lead. I, I think ultimately, the, at least here in the U.S., will move that way mm -hmm. if for no other reason than to have that uniformity. To me, um, the individual that I've referenced, I would trust that individual with the youth today. But mm -hmm. because of, of his or her background, they're barred from that. Sure. And so, I, you know, yeah. I think you got. I think you got to judge the individual. But I think the church at least is probably going to move that way just for uniformity, because it doesn't make sense for it to be in one part, not in other areas of the church where the capability exists. Sure. And and you know, in the United States, there are some states that it is mandatory. Uh, not all and not many. It's not a majority in the United States, but there are some states that say, no, if you're going to do this, this has to this has to occur for these people. And so I think it will just be sort of a thing. And if people are like, oh, that's not fair that that person did that. Here's the deal. As an excommunicated and rebaptized member of the church, I will never be a bishop ever. Is that fair? Maybe, maybe not. Would I make a good bishop? Maybe, maybe not. It doesn't matter. Because that is where, you know, my past has been, I will not ever be done. And that, let, thus let it be written, thus let it be said. Part of that's because my wife's not a member of the church as well. But all things combined, it's not going to happen. Right. So, well, 
What do you do? You know? Yeah. What? <laughs> you, well, you talk about it, and then you think, you know what? For that one percent, I hope that we do it, and and it makes a top story of 2023, which leads us to our final story. Well, final as far as you're concerned. Tell me uh, a little bit about this story. So this is, and, and you guys got into it, I think it was the most recent article, articles of news with the story out of uh, Phoenix, is the clergy parishioner privilege and the fact that has not, I guess, was presented to the legislature in Utah and did not yet pass again. Um, in fact, there are, last time I checked, which was earlier this morning, there's 33 states, including where I am now in Alabama, that have some form of a clergy parishioner privilege. Um, this is one that is interesting to me, given the kind of type of work that I do. Um, and and I mentioned earlier that this is where I have a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and my testimony of the administration of the gospel may be a little different. Mm -hmm. but, but as a lawyer, I actually, if I were the church's attorney, I would be lobbying against this privilege being revoked as well. Strictly from a risk management perspective, it is in our church's best interest it is in the Catholic Church's best interest. The Jehovah's Witnesses are also mentioned in the article that, I've, that I'm looking at um, to have this privilege to continue to exist, because otherwise, the moment that privilege goes away, floodgates of litigation open up against these churches and and, uh, and religious organizations. And so, in my mind, I have to divide this. I look at this as a as an attorney and say, absolutely, the right thing to do as mm -hmm. a risk manager. From the church's perspective, though, I, I can look at this and I can separate the administration of the gospel from the gospel itself. Um, having been a part of disciplinary courts where, you know, in, in my state, Richie, believe it or not, adultery is a crime. Mm. So, so if I have someone and I have been a part of, um, and I forget what they're called now because it's been so long since we've done one, but the used to be the disciplinary courts. Mm -hmm. um, they're called a mem uh, meeting of member decisions. I don't know. It is something that yeah, we've well, you know, down Whatever you think Feel good. It's a term that makes you feel really good about the process. Yeah, right? yeah. it's a it's a court of love uh, where we. I think that actually is what they call it now. It's a it's a court of love, or not even court. It's a it's a meeting. I don't know something it's some kind of meeting conference, down. whatever. Um, but but I will tell you though, in that in, in the one that I was in, in one of the ones I've been involved in, there was a the act of adultery was the issue, and mm -hmm. in my state, that is a crime for which you can be prosecuted. Mm. So technically, at that at that point, this member confessed a crime. Now, if this privilege were to be revoked, then I could be forced to testify in a court of law against the individual if a divorce case was going on or if a criminal case was brought because of the adultery. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know what the answer to this one is, except that I respect that the church is being counseled by its legal representatives mm -hmm. to lobby against the revoking of that privilege. Sure. Um, and, and I don't, I, I feel, you know, like I, I am sympathetic to individuals who have um, obviously suffered forms of abuse or, or things of that nature. But I don't know that it's the church's responsibility to say, okay, great. We're, you know, we're going to take the lead and say, we want that law. We want that privilege revoked mm -hmm. for the purposes of someone being able to be a bishop, being able to testify in a court of law against someone. I just, I think the greater good here demands that the privilege continue. Yeah, it's, but I, I, so I'm going to push on you a little bit because you talk about how you're a mandatory reporter, yeah. right? Yeah. And let's just say that you you knew about something, right? Something yeah. come and you find out about it or someone comes and tells you, right? 
Now, we'll say it's not within the confines of your religious calling right now, but I come to you and I say, you know what? I did this, Aaron. Yep. And you said, boy, real bad. I wish you wouldn't do that. Do you think that that's the thing that you should do? You're, you mandatorily need to report, but you don't. For whatever reason, you decide, oh, Richie, will you promise me you won't do that again? Will you come talk to me if you're not going to do that again? You know, if you think you're going to do that again or whatever the thing is, for whatever reason, you don't do it again. Don't you have, just as like a wholesome human being, some sort of like... Uh, like just like break moral down obligation. your own moral, you know, thing to be like, uh, and then I go and do it again. And you say, I, I could have, there is something I could have done to prevented either that same person being abused again or other people. So asking an attorney what my moral obligation is, that's a loaded question. Yeah, yeah. never mind. I forgot. <laughs> no morals. But, 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 but I'll tell you, though, like, like, it's like, I've actually had this discussion with my bishop. There have been, and I do a lot of family law, a lot of divorces, custody, nasty stuff like that. I do some, you know, some other stuff, but most of my practice now is confined to that. I won't do, we have two stakes in, in my town here in Huntsville, Alabama. I won't do divorces or custody cases for individuals in my in my own state because I, I thought I was doing a good deed once for someone mm -hmm. who was in a different ward and it ended up turning nasty and they moved into our ward and it was Ooh. a complete disaster. Because I was in the bishopric, and now all of a sudden, if I had to extend a calling, I told the bishop, I said, I, like, I'm out. I can't deal on, on any spiritual level with these folks. And so to prevent that, um, I, I've told the bishop, I'm like, look, I can't, if there's a divorce or something, I need to be out of the room. And, and we've had this discussion because I've told him, I said, I'm a mandatory reporter. If there are children involved, I think my my ethical duty, I think, is to report it. Yeah. As a, as, as a member of the bar, I think that that, you know, I would ultimately call the bar to get guidance back my ultimate obligation is as a mandatory reporter, unless it's my client who tells me. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have had to ask myself to be removed from certain discussions in our bishopric meetings. Um, whenever there's a possibility of that sort of information coming up, and I, they've actually let me just be excused and leave the room. Sure. But that doesn't stop the person point. from being abused again. Or, it, it, you know it, what I'm saying? It, it, it doesn't. That 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 makes me want to call you. Well, pilot, that doesn't mean that you didn't you couldn't have done something about it, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is. If, yeah. if it comes up, truthfully, what I'll do is I would call the bar mm -hmm. to get guidance on that. Um, because I don't I don't know. Fortunately, I've not been in that situation. I'll tell you uh, several years back, I was a um, back when it was home teaching before I was ministering. Um, I was home teaching a a family where the sister was an alcoholic, mm. um, bad, and they had two young children. And I came and reported to the bishop and I said, look, I'm concerned. I understand I'm a mandatory reporter. Mm -hmm. I think things are stable now, but if this gets worse, I've got to go to the state and report it. Mm -hmm. And they got folks in the home. And, and, and I think it helped facilitate getting this family resources through LDS counseling and other service providers to get them the help they needed. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but I don't think this is a story. I don't think this is an issue that's going to go anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I think the solution is there's a great line in uh, the movie Liar Liar with Jim Carrey where the secretary says, you know, he's just done this. Can you give him some advice? He's in jail or he's trying to get out on bail. And Jim Carrey picks up the phone and he says, stop breaking the law. Oh. <laughs> and you're just uh, it's it's like, well, don't do that anymore. That's how yeah. we can do it. Everyone, can do it. we can prevent abuse by not doing it in the first place. That's right. Please and thank you.
Well, uh, I, uh, I appreciate you being here for the, uh, the three stories that you thought were, um, you know, important to be able to share for 2023. You yourself, you are a Patreon saint. I would be curious, what made you decide to go from just like, ah, I like this little show in podcast form to becoming a Patreon saint? Uh, to see it continued. I mean, uh, you know, you're, there's not enough. I think sometimes the members of the church, we get wrapped up in the seriousness of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I have tried, I've, I've tried to sell your uh, show in podcast form to members of my family, to friends. Because I think the lighthearted takes the different perspectives of talking it through is valuable, at least to someone for, for my own testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a great scriptorian. Um, I, I've, I've, and so hearing your voice every week, hearing the, the sort of the renewed, the, um, the steady voices I hear the week is, is renewing to my spirit. Mm. And so I wanted to just support in that way to make sure it keeps going. Yeah. And I think well, everybody should, you know? Yeah. We appreciate the heck out of it. And other folks can go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. That's it, Ryan. We're done. All right. Thank you, sir. Hi, friends. Dan, the laptop man here from PC Laptops. Our lifetime service guarantee has become the most trusted warranty in the industry. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop computer and they start at only $29 a month. Check us out at PCLaptops.com bestdjinutah.com. You're right. It's a new ad. What? Well, it's been an entire season since I've recorded a bestdjinutah.com ad. And well, the wedding season coming to an end at this point, but not really because what happens now is everyone who's going to get married in 2024 reaches out and says, Richie, is it possible? Do you still have this date? And I tell them, yes, hopefully. And then we get you booked. We'd love to be able to work with you. Uh, travel all along the Intermountain West. Some people call it the Jello Belt. Uh, you can go to bestdjinutah.com to request a quote. You can find us on any of the social medias at bestdjinutah. And uh, we can answer any questions. Affordable? Yes. Over 400 five-star reviews? Yes. Highest rated in the state of Utah? Uh-huh. Go on. It's best. DJ in Utah.com and I'll give you a little hint. It also helps me to be able to do this, like financially support the cultural hall through that. And you get something in return. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. All right, so we continue to count not down or up. We're just doing 23 stories that uh, several people that weigh in on the cultural hall uh, have determined are the top 23 stories of 2023. Uh, And so now we welcome Megan the Mitch to give her three. Welcome, Megan the Mitch. What up? What up indeed. Uh, You get the uh, distinct privilege of being stories number seven, eight, and nine. I would love it if you would give me story number seven as you see it. All right. Story number seven, as I see it, is the downfall of Ruby Frankie, YouTube vlogger. Um, So this all started, she's had this YouTube channel, Eight Passengers, for some time. It Mm -hmm. kind of went dark earlier in 2023, and nobody really knew why. Um, but 
in August, in August, August 30th, her and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt, they were both arrested and charged with six counts of felony child abuse. Now, how did this all happen? A lot of people were actually sounding warning alarms um, 2022, earlier in 2023 and past years, saying that a lot of the parenting techniques that she was utilizing and that she was putting forth on her YouTube channel were actually abusive. Mm -hmm. Doing things like um, she made her son sleep on a beanbag chair for like seven months because he was pranking his younger brother. He or lost doing... the privilege of a bed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And other things like taking all of their possessions that they left out and saying, well, you have to pay me to get them back, which on the surface, it's like, yeah, okay. Except that it was like homework, you know, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. doing things where my daughter forgot to make her lunch. So I'm not bringing her any food except that the doc daughter is six, you know, things like that, where um, one could say, well, it's just disciplined parenting and others would say, well, no, it's child abuse. And um, when she was arrested, the reason that she was arrested is because her younger son was being held captive, basically, at the home of Jody Hildebrandt, and he escaped um, and went to a neighbor and said, hey, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, my sister and I are being tied up in this house over here. Of course, the neighbor did what any human would do and called the police and um, found out that not only had this young man and his sister been tied up and held captive in this home, but that was a definitely a pattern of behavior with the whole family or, or with uh, Ruby Frankie. And it's come to light now that um, not only would they bound up, bind up their children, mm -hmm. They would make this particular son work out in the, the outside in the summer all day long into the night, no sunscreen, no water. And if they found him drinking water, he'd be punished even further. Hmm. He was frequently tied up with um, duct tape or ropes or handcuffs. Um, Jody Hildebrandt is Ruby Frankie's business partner. They had started kind of like a, another, a, another business called the Connections Academy, um, I guess it was kind of a, a life coach situation, marriage and family relationships, um, which more people have come out saying, yeah, we did their curriculum and it ruined our marriage. Um, and, and a lot of this was all done under the guise of you, 12 year old boy, you're possessed by the devil. You need to repent. Um, so, of course, bringing in the the religious aspect of it. Really, really super um, awful. Yeah, and sure. they would do things like hold his head under the water, try to suffocate him. You know, I, I mean, there's there's literally no redeeming in this story yet. Um, both Ruby Frankie and Jody Hildebrandt have pled guilty to four of the six charges that were brought against them. Interestingly, they were different. The four that they each uh, pled to were different. I know for sure that Ruby Frankie in her plea deal is testifying against Jody Hildebrandt. Mm -hmm. I've not heard if Jody is testifying against Ruby. Have you heard anything about I that? I haven't. And typically it's the one who makes the plea agreement first, right? So they go, okay. hey, you know what? Well, is one of you guys going to talk about uh, the other one? And they're like, no, no, we're totally not. And then whoever sort of breaks first, this is from my 
TV understanding of how these sort of things work out. Whoever is going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to talk. They're the one that usually gets the deal or the ability to be able to do it against the other one. So, yeah, I'm, but I'm sure in the defense, you know, if Jody's going to say, Hey, that uh, Ruby Frankie was part of this too. I'm sure that she'll say, Hey, she did this too. Or yeah. I was working alongside my business partner at very least. I mean, that would be the defense that I had. And I would never do something like this. But if I was partnered in something, I would say, listen, yes, I did. And yes, my partner did as well. Right, right. Yep. Um, since then, uh, Ruby's husband, Kevin, has filed for divorce. I'm not sure why it took so long, but sure. he did. Um, the other the other thing that has I've seen brought up frequently is that Jody Hildebrandt was at the time a licensed mental health professional. Mm-hmm. And um, there are so many ethical problems with, I mean, obviously there's ethical problems with the case as a whole, but just the fact that she developed any sort of personal relationship with Ruby Frankie, mm-hmm. whether it turned into an abusive situation or not, is like a complete breach of ethics when it comes to mental health professionals. So she blurred a lot, a lot of boundaries. Yeah. Um, And there's been lots of terrible things coming out about Jody Hildebrandt that are actually unrelated to this case, hmm. things that she did when she was um, employed by BYU, um, sharing confidential privileged information from her clients, you know, things like that. And yeah, the whole thing, terrible. Yeah, Absolutely I'm, terrible. I'm no sort of prognosticator or prophet, but I would imagine that this or some vein of this story will be one of the top stories of 2024 as well, as we look forward I to- agree. The, the uh, you know, when they get sentenced and some of the things that will be um, said within that time. I imagine that we'll just continue to find out more and that we will likely not hear the end of this until at least after April, but, you know, maybe right. not until. Right. And and Ruby Frankie, I don't, I'm not sure about Jody Hildebrandt, but she stands to get anywhere from one to 15 years for each count. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I think a lot of people would really like to see the judge just throw it all at her, yep. you know, which could be as many as 60 years in prison. And mm-hmm. um, I have very specific feelings about that, that she needs to get every single one of those years because, yeah. Well, because you don't hurt kids, right? I mean, not exactly. that not that adults aren't just kids growing up and we shouldn't hurt anybody, but there is certainly, uh, especially... You know, when when you think about it from a gospel perspective where it's like God has entrusted you to raise his children, like that mm-hmm. seems like an extra responsibility. And, you know, these are children that that rely on parents in a way that you that children don't rely on other people. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that that's uh, specifically vulnerable. And then I also just think, uh, yeah, well, yeah, horrible. Right. And then, and then to, to take all of those tactics and then put it out into the world. Mm-hmm. to um, millions of people. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily particularly careful about everything that I put online with my children, mm-hmm. but I would probably, I mean, I posted one time a picture of my child when she was a toddler crying in like the corner for timeout. Mm-hmm. And then somebody called me out on it and was like, Hey, that's not cool. And I was like, you know what? It's, it's really not. And so then like some of the other nitty gritty stuff that goes on in my life, there's not a chance you would find me posting about it on social media at, 
unless it was with their permission or I kept it entirely anonymous, which is really hard to do. Sure. sure. You know, um, there's just, there's just no excuse for any of it. Yep. All right. Story number eight. I'm excited to see where this goes from here. This one's going to be a little bit more positive. Okay. So <sighs> Ashley Hatch um, was a standout soccer star at BYU and um, she plays for the Washington spirit. And um, in 2021, she won the national women's soccer league golden boot award, which is a huge deal. Like an huge MVP deal. of all the MVPs, right? Am I understanding that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so it was a huge shock when in 2023, she was not chosen to represent the United States at the World Cup on the, the National Soccer Team World Cup roster. And she was quite shocked and puzzled by it. And fans were, it was like, if you're a fan of soccer and that was that, it, it just didn't happen. You know, it's like mm -hmm. Ashley Hatch, she's a shoo-in. She's been on the national Unintended. team before. Sure. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so she was, she was really, really, um, surprised and extremely disappointed, obviously, but she said that she found a lot of strength in her connection to heavenly father and her identity as a child of God. Um, she says, um, I love putting in effort. My dad did a really good job of teaching my sister and me that it's an opportunity to work hard and it's a good thing. I feel like having that perspective really helped me to just kind of like want to keep working hard always wanting to get better, never being complacent. And um, so she said, so after putting in consistent effort for over a year and a half to make the World Cup roster, Ashley felt disheartened to have not been included. She said, it's it's so hard to show up every single day, go through everything, the whole season, what everybody else did, and then to not make, make it. Mm -hmm. She said she felt like she failed. Um, but I think any of us would look at her and all of her accomplishments and be like, nope, not, not an ounce of failure there. It's a failure on the part of the coaches, but not on her, you know? Do, um, do we have any idea why she wasn't? So like my mind no. goes to a couple things. Like if you are a phenomenal, uh, basketball player, but you happen to be on the same team, uh, and play the same position as LeBron James, and right. they've got a LeBron James and you're like, yeah, but I'm, I'm also very good. Right. Let me play as well. Like it, it wasn't a scenario like that. It was just a, you didn't get picked so sad. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what I have in all that I've read about it. I haven't seen anything like that, that they had, you know, too many forwards or something like that. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen mm -hmm. anything like that. Um, but, um, she said people in her life became ministering angels, which also helped her through her disappointment. Heavenly Father answered my prayers through all the people around me who showed so much support. I was able to receive so much strength from my husband, my family members, my teammates, from the coaching staff at the Washington Spirit, and even through the many strangers who reached out and shared their disappointment as well. Um, but the thing that I love is that she's just been so positive through the whole experience. I mean, yeah. she's obviously, obviously disappointed, obviously a frustrating circumstance to find yourself in, but she has just said, look, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep working. My, my time as a soccer player isn't over because of this one disappointment. And she is now looking forward to working hard to make the Olympic roster for 2024 in Paris. So cool. best of luck to Ashley Hatch. She is a great example of just an athlete, keeping her, her standards high and being just really, really awesome on the field and off. 
Here we go. All right. Takes us to story number nine and your last story. And then we're going to take a break and come back with stories 10 through 18. Who will those be with? I don't know. I don't even know if we'll do them. This may be the end of the episode after this number nine here in just a moment. I don't know. That's how this episode happens. Uh, Also, people are baffled by the uh, minimal amount of effort that goes into planning these things beforehand. What are we doing? This? Perfect. Take it away. Story number nine. All right. So I'm calling this in memoriam. The uh, notable people of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who have passed away. Beginning in January of 2023, we lost Sister Mary Crandall Hales, who um, she was 90 years old. She was the wife of Elder Robert D. Hales, who passed away in 2017. Um, Very, very sad. They had been married for 64 years, Mm. which is a very long time. Um, sister Patricia Holland, wife of elder Jeffrey R. Holland passed away in July. She was a former member of the young women general presidency. She was 81 years old and passed away after a brief hospitalization. She grew up on a farm in enterprise, Utah and married elder Holland in 1963 after a five-year courtship. Jeez. They were sealed in the St. George temple. They had three children and 13 grandchildren. In October, we lost sister Kathleen Eyring. She passed away um, at 82 years old. And from my understanding, she had uh, suffered for a long time with dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, she was born in San Francisco and attended Berkeley. That's where she really uh, found her faith, her solid faith. And it was um, while she was at summer school in Boston in 1961 that she attended a devotional where she met President Irene. They were married in 1962 and had three children. And then um, in November, sadly, we lost Elder M. Russell Ballard. He passed away at age 95, he served for 47 years as a general church leader. At the time of his death, he was the longest serving living general authority. Hmm. Um, he had seven children, 43 grandchildren, and 105 great-grandchildren. Jeez. He was reunited with Sister Ballard, who passed away in 2018. So those are like the really like big, very notable ones, but I want to run through a few others. Please. We lost eight missionaries throughout the year some due to illness and some due to accidents. And in that list, I'm including Elder Liam Mildenstein, who passed away upon re- uh, receiving his mission call to Japan. Yeah, I remember that really. story. Yep. That story is so, so heartbreaking. Um, additionally, uh, uh, Douglas D. Alder, a historian and former member of the Mormon Historical Association, passed away. Rick DeAzevedo, he was a member of the King Family Singers, a TV producer and an executive at both Warner Brothers and Universal. Historian Lester Bush passed away. Stan Ellsworth, who was an author and host of BYU TV's American Ride. Lavinia Fielding Anderson, uh, she passed away. She was an author, historian, and literary critic. And I hope that I'm right in saying this, that she was a part of the September 6th. She was one of the September 6th, yep. One of the six, yeah. Um, Linda King Newell, who is an author, historian, and former president of the Mormon Historical Association. Anne Perry, who was a prolific crime writer and subject of the 2009 documentary called Interiors. And if you want a rabbit hole, Richie, look up Anne Perry. Okay. It is, is it a P-A story. or P-E? P-E. Okay. P-E. And you'll find a link to it, obviously, in the show notes. Yep. Um, and then Joan Woodbury, who is choreographer and co-founder of the Ryrie Woodbury Dance Company. So I hope I got everybody. Yeah. Well, you didn't. And and inevitably someone will go, I "I can't believe that you missed this person. And if I, uh, if I'm any sort of uh, editor and or purveyor of shows available in podcast form, 
I will find some sort of soft music that can play underneath the memoriam like they do in all of the award shows. Oh, maybe I'll just record that and have you do that uh, over and over. It's just you. I will remember (laughs) you. Pause, pause, pause. I will remember (laughs) you. And then becomes an earworm. Uh, All right. Well, that's it, Megan. Thank you very much. Thanks, Richie. Talk to you later. All right. As we continue the uh, top 23 stories of 2023, I know you're thinking, listen, uh, we're getting this on the 5th of January. At what point is it going to be the top stories of 2024? Listen, here's the thing. Uh, I was talking to my buddy, Kurt Frank. I'm over at uh, Leading Saints. And when he heard me talk about the uh, top 23, he said, Richie's going to regret that he decided to do that. And that's accurate. Uh, plus, uh, and this is this is not a joke. This is an actual for seriousness. I'll tell you what, life happens a lot around the holidays. And so uh, pray for the people that are in your particular congregation. Or if you're like, hey, everyone is just fine. Pray for the people of the hall. We got people that have got no voice, people in the hospital, people who have been in and out of the hospital, people that aren't able to speak, one who it's uh, it's teetering as far as COVID. We've got pneumonia and RSV and all the things. I'm fine. I'm just fine. But I committed to doing a bunch of different news stories with other people. So here's how this is going to go. Uh, Annette Luthi Lyon is here. Thank you for being here, Annette. Thank you. Thank you. So she's going to do stories 10, 11, and 12. And then uh, I'm going to rattle off a bunch of stuff that'll justify it to 23. So I don't feel like I'm a liar and uh, may or may not have been something I just barely searched on uh, the internet using AI to help me with the assist. Thank you, artificial intelligence, or as I like to say it, more than my intelligence. So that's fine. Uh, And then we'll wrap this up and then you'll get it and you'll say, yeah, Richie, maybe just 10. Maybe we fight about it. We just do 10 next year. That's where I'm thinking right now. Or like a top nine. Maybe we're different, right? Maybe we're 11. 13 because there are articles of faith. That could be 13 articles of news. Doesn't matter. Annette, what is number 10? Number 10 would be Tim Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad and all of the fallout that has gone on with that. So I could do a... Should I do a big overview for those who don't are unfamiliar with the whole thing or kind yeah, of just you can run through it pretty quick? I know that most people are at least familiar on some level, so we can we can skip th- or not skip through, but blow through it pretty quick. Go ahead. So, yeah, the so Operation Underground Railroad was for years seen as this and basically advertised as a, pl- as a place of a organization that would help rescue um, women and children in sex trafficking situations across the world um things have kind of come out and the plaything has kind of crumbled because there's a lot of sexual allegations of misconduct from tim ballard who um, founded the thing back in july i believe maybe it was june he quietly stepped away from our um because they were doing there were some allegations coming out then um then in about september that that's the allegations became public um and over the next two months, everything just hit the fan as far as um, the, you know, Vice, who had been doing deep dives and investigative um, reporting since December 2020, um, they actually came to the church and said, well, do you approve of what he's doing? Because he had talked about, oh, well, President Ballard approves and he's a good friend and he's donated and blah, blah, blah. So the church replied with a statement saying, no, we do not agree with the things he is doing. And um, he is no longer considered a good friend of President Ballard. He is, I'm forgetting the exact terminology right now, but essentially um, betrayed their friendship and that kind of thing. And then Tim came out 
with a bit of an unhinged video response saying the church would never do that. Then I've never said anything I shouldn't have said and blah, blah, blah. Um, and that and united, then, and that united a storm of people who were like, "We aren't even sure that this is from the church." Exactly, and um, it reached the point of, "Well, it's not in the church newsroom. It's not this. <laughs> it's not that." And then, you know, people had to say, "Okay, well, a press release is not the same thing as a statement replying to a journalistic inquiry." <laughs> um, sure. It got so big that uh, Governor Cox of Utah contacted the church himself, talked to people on the higher ups, and got you know, confirmation that yes, the statement was indeed from the church itself. Um, and then there's been rumors that Tim has been excommunicated and all kinds of other things there that have um, come out. Um, Sean Reyes, Utah's attorney general has been involved with OUR. A lot of question marks there. There's some um, allegations that he's now being sued for um, witness intimidation. Um, the several women who came, well, first they were uh, anonymous now I'm trying to remember there four or five that, that, that uh, were. Yeah, I think that. So I want to say there there were five were, and four came forward or six and five came forward. Yeah, there, there was, was one, one who or did two, not who said no thanks. Yeah. I don't need to. I don't need the. But they were on. The name it's out. like a 20 minute video where they they read their statements and their experience, um, and it's very telling and very disturbing. Glenn Beck then came out against Tim. They've been very tight and close. Um, since then we've learned about there's other people um who have been former operatives who said, yeah, I know people that he was doing things to and with, and this is wrong. And I don't, I don't support him anymore. Um, it's been kind of huge. And then you get into things like, oh yes, he had um, a psychic on retainer who would talk to the prophet Nephi, <laughs> all kinds of crazy things. And Tim believed that he um, would be a senator and, well, and, that, and that's the big that's the big thing that feeds the conspiracy theory is right yeah. after us uh, now Senator Romney, who's about to, you know, step out of office here in a little bit once he gets replaced. Yes, uh, that Tim would uh, be the one to replace He would him. be the one to take the place, right? He would run for it. And um, right about the time that he was going to announce is when this came out. And that's why people were like, see, like, oh, see, people are trying to undermine him. Yeah, it's a conspiracy theory. Um, instead of it just being that he, I think uh, I've watched, I've gone on so many deep dives on, on so much of this, but he actually thought he would become Senator, U.S. President, and then President of the church. So he has real, I think he started out with good intentions and then it got to his head and when he went off into a ditch, as we've seen with the Dave case situation and the Thibodeau case and a bunch of the others. I think some of these things of like, oh, I can get personal revelation if, if you have narcissistic tendencies, that is a dangerous sure. combination. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So we're in a, in a place right now where um, Operation Underground Railroad is, I think they're trying to pick up the pieces. He has gone on to create, um, this. was it the Spear Foundation? Another, But I don't think so much has come forward of really sketchy and disturbing things that he's done. Like the ex-Marine um, woman who, who came and worked for Operation Underground Railroad, her story that was, she was one of the ones that was on video, but she had a, her stories, uh, um, it was also in Vice, very disturbing information, um, holy crazy, so. Yeah, uh, his tips. wife, as far as, far as uh, at this point, she's still with him, standing as by his side. Know. Uh, his social media has been silent since uh, November 29th. I did see supposedly anything. on an Instagram story. He had there was a, a had like a quote for supposedly from his wife, um, but she had been silent. 
So mm -hmm. I don't know who wrote those words. I don't know if she said them or not. We we don't know. We don't know what's happening. So so Tim Ballard, they will take that. That's a that's a that's story intense. worth being on the that's, top twenty three. Certainly, as yeah. far as attention, it's another one of these stories that we're like, come on, do really? Yeah. And we no, all right. Well, the thing that blew my mind too was that when some of this came out, um, you know, with the church statement, there were people who were attacking President Ballard. This is, of course, before he passed, saying, sure. you know, I sustain you as an apostle, but I, I call you to repentance and. You're and people basically like supporting Tim over the 12 and the first presidency. And I just thought, oh my goodness, yeah. is, it, is it possible that they know something you don't know? And yeah. this is deeper than anyway, it's yeah, there's there's a lot there. It's disturbing. yeah, yeah, and, and a story that will likely become a, a top of 2020 24 as yes. well. Oh, and also, as some, things come out and some of this and all that started also exploding when Sound of Freedom came out, which was the movie supposedly based on him, which is. So fictionalized, it's not even really about him. But have you was, watched it? No, I've seen. I've heard a lot about it sure. from people who have seen it. Um, it just it just became available on uh, Hulu or Prime, one of the ones that I've got. And my wife so, is like, we should watch it. My uh, dad, my dad, uh, said super upsetting. I guess it's yeah, like uh, not upsetting. Like, oh my gosh, this is so fictionalized. But like things that are depicted within the oh, film it, super yeah. upsetting yeah yeah um, and, and if it, that's really how things were then holy cow that's bad then yay tim is a hero but that's not real yeah yeah so yeah so, I, I probably will watch it though just for i will say one wild thing is people were like oh look at all the money it made at the box office apparently um some of the donors were actually buying tickets and then no one would go to the theater, but the tickets would uh, sell out. Uh, so it could look like it had, you know, packed seats and that kind well, of thing. So there were, there's some guys. Come on. Yeah. That's a little, that's a little shady. I wonder how much that happens though, in general, because if you hear about a big box office weekend, mm -hmm. right. For a movie, I, I, maybe it doesn't happen at all, but if you hear about a big box office uh, weekend for a movie, just like uh, the top 10 on Netflix or something like that, if it's like, this is trending, there's a certain group of people, myself oh, sure. very much included in something like that, that's like, hey, yeah, I made $50 million at the box office last weekend. I'll go see it this weekend. And uh, yeah. I don't know. I imagine yeah. it might happen with like more small independent things. Sure. I don't think you, that that's the case of a Star Wars movie. No, they're really sold out. You know, yeah. That kind yeah. Of thing. But, but it's possible. I've heard of like, you know, writers trying to buy copies of their book from a whole bunch of different independent bookstores to try sure. to make it onto the New York Times and just sure. to game the system. Yeah. They usually get caught, but um, but sure. yeah, that's sure. kind of what it felt like to me. Anyway. Uh, how yeah. about we do story number 11 number for 2023? 11. This one is, it's it's more of a person for me. Um, Dan McClellan has kind of burst onto the scene. He actually, he used to work at BYU and he's worked for the church as far as um, like translations of scripture and that kind of thing. And now he does social media. And I believe he started in 2022 to get big-ish, but then he felt like in 2023 is when like people all over the place knew who he was and he started getting attacks and all kinds of things. I saw him on a list of oh people who are anti-Christ that we shouldn't be listening to, and which is hilarious. Um, he goes into things like the historical data behind scriptures and how, you know, people are saying, well, I believe every word of the Bible. He's like, well, okay, but the Bible itself contradicts itself or that this thing was probably written by this person, not this person, or here's, you know, he's doing, does a lot of clarification on um, people, especially, you know, um, Christians who kind of lean into the prepper side of things. And these are not just mm -hmm. Latter-day Saints, but uh, everybody, you know, like, Oh, like there's just one um, 
supposed prophecy that people are like, oh, it's coming to pass. Look at this picture from the you know, the satellite view of this river. And he's like, guys, <laughs> that picture is from 2014. And mm-hmm. that prophecy isn't what it doesn't say what you think it does. And anyway, so he, he debunks a bunch of stuff like that. It's fascinating. But I've also think it's fascinating that people are so up in arms about him. He's just his big thing is data over dogma. Like, let's just look at the facts. This is what scholars agree on. So you can find him on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, all the places. And he also does um, like Zoom, uh, like a lecture on a specific topic, I think maybe three or four times a year. And then. Oh, interesting donate um i think it's like donate a dollar or however much you feel comfortable with and then you have access to it you can watch it live or um or after the fact and anyway interesting stuff so you can hear him uh, here in the hall he helped us with the episode of the beast number six (laughs) six six six. so you can check that out and uh he also has a podcast too Mm -hmm. uh uh it's called data over dogma uh, it's one of those things that when I look back into my past of decisions that I should have done differently, they asked me to help produce it. And I was like, I don't know that I have time. And and I look back <laughs> on that decision and I think maybe I should have found the time for something maybe. like that. Uh, but, but you don't know what's going to explode. No, you don't. I will and, say there's one huge commonality between you and Dan that I noticed. Handsome? Gingers. Well, okay. Well, okay. Three things. Three, then. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> About two weeks after you you both left BYU, you suddenly had facial hair. Yep. So, yep, that's, yep. Um, I'm like, yep, I think, again, we need the beard rule to go away. Just saying. Well, and, and it's interesting also, too, um, they, they, that is BYU, came to Dan and said, you got to pick. And he's like, out. <laughs> Social media, if I got to pick, we're done. We're going to go do this. And it has suited him well. And and, it has suited him very well. Yeah. And, and that's no sort of knock on BYU. It's great for some people. And I think that he would, just as I would, look back at the time and say, you know what? Great for the time that I was there. And oh, then sure. another adventure presented itself. And it's definitely and a great place for certain people. And I, th- I think this is a great path for him, um, in part because he has a. Uh, Okay, okay, I may be slightly biased because he has a linguistics background and I'm a total nerd when it comes to things like that. So I like mm-hmm. that side of things, but he is so good at explaining very complex things to lay people who don't have that background, who, you know, on on, the, on a religious thing, like the scholars of the Dead Sea Scrolls or the this or the that, you know, he'll talk about, you know, like the historicity of the belief of does does God God have a body and how that has changed across various centuries and he just there's just a wealth of knowledge that he can distill very um very well he's very good at it so uh although I will say I'm reading one of the bad reviews for data over dogma quote, Dan is very talented and incredibly well studied somehow perhaps willfully he never seems to acknowledge his own obvious bias he interprets everything through a postmodern lens he reduces all human dynamics down to class warfare and power struggles among different identities I, I love oh, love the uh, the worst the worst reviews that some people give mm-hmm. yeah their sweet keyboard warrior hearts. All right, so this is it then. This is story number 12. Number 12. This one is, uh, I was looking at the dates and kind of blew my mind that we're coming on a year since it started going on with Taylor Frankie Paul. Okay. Our uh, a TikTok inf- social media influencer who, you know, she was my kids, I'm a mom, and da, 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 da. And then she got pretty big and then think her life started to fall apart. Um, yep. She, I'm forgetting, did she, she was going through a divorce? 
or was it art? Yeah. I'm trying so, to. So, uh, I mean, it really starts. So, her and her uh, husband would soft swing. That's right. That's right. Which part would of this... mean you could do everything but the thing. And with then, other no people. surprise, several of those marriages started to crumble. I forgot. Right. That, so that's they where so it they started. got divorced. She found herself a new companion, and I think that's what uh, hit almost almost a year ago. Um, pun yeah. not intended when I said what hit. Um, there was. <laughs> Yeah, domestic, Paul, yeah so, so February 28th is when she was hmm. arrested for domestic abuse um, for, I think, believe, throwing a chair toward her boyfriend and it hit her child, um, two counts of domestic violence in the, in the presence of a child, which is a third-degree felony itself. Um, let's see, child abuse, aggravated assault, criminal mischief. What else was she charged with? Um, and then, yeah, so what was interesting to me, too, I was trying so hard to figure out what her angle was on some of her videos before the when things were after her divorce but before the domestic assault stuff mm -hmm. um because she she's like we're getting ready for church and you know she's very open oh we go to the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and i'm mm -hmm. like that's great and she's like oh by the way you know she has her little can of coke we're allowed to drink caffeine mm -hmm. but then she began the video sitting in bed with her boyfriend he had clearly slept over the night before and i was like so are you saying that you're like active believing or not because that's not part of that. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, it's a weird dynamic. I, I couldn't quite figure out where she was going. But um, there's some some video that came out a few couple of months after her arrest that was very. It's just it's just it's, she's very distraught and she's um, very up, upset. I think she's drunk, if I recall, um, and just not. It's one of those things that is like it's so it's painful to watch. I think it's it's, it's police body cam footage, mm. if I recall correctly, and that was in the summer. Um, last we heard, um, she is expecting a child with her boyfriend. Um, and I'm hoping for her sake and everyone's sake that that's a, that will be a positive thing, and not one more thing that will add additional stress to anyone's life. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's soft swinging. You know, probably not the best idea. Things Oof. can go horribly wrong. I can, I can, I can take a firmer stand on that. Not a good idea. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll step it's away. Not from a good idea. Probably just... not a good idea, and just say not a good idea. Yeah, I don't. So, zero stars. Don't recommend. Yeah, and she she was claiming oh with with the the violence part. Oh, well, she just thrown a chair, but it it was more than that. Police said that she she was on video kicking her boyfriend and and choke holding had him in a chokehold. Yeah. So there was more than just oh I accidentally threw a chair and it happened to bump my little child. It was it was more than that. But yeah. Yeah, it well, was all right. it's, it's upsetting. So those are yeah. the three that I thought jumped out for me. Anyways, although they hadn't already been covered, because of course I am all over da the daybell situation as well. Yeah, but that could be a whole be interesting. Hour conversation. I, we're we're going to work with um, our friend Nate Eaton to try and be a little bit more involved with that, and certainly we can be more involved with that because that court case will be on TV. So we may do. Yes like a roundup thing at the end of the week, or we, we have talked about doing some of those, um, you know, a little bit more, uh, more involved and more community based uh, events from the cultural hall. Here's the deal. We've been around a long time. In fact, I would dare say, except for one product uh, that we have been around the longest. And uh, sometimes that can be a little bit taxing. Sometimes we think, Oh man, we've done it all. Or we sort of rest on our laurels. I hope that 2024 is a year that we sort of push through all that. And if you would like to be uh, on board the exciting train that is 2024 and the cultural halls, we move into the future. It's not just hosts. We've got plenty of hosts that are, uh, well, not healthy right now. 
Um, I suppose there would be uh, an opening or two for something like that. But if you're thinking, man, the cultural hall really needs this, and I have this amazing skill, and what a cool community of people, a bunch of uh, friends behind the scenes, all that kind of stuff. You have a little bit of extra time. We'd love to consider and likely use your help. You can send us an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. So I promised a bunch of news stories. Uh, I'm not going to try and, and chase down anyone else. So I searched on the AI and I said, hey, tell me the top 10 stories for, um, for 2023 uh, for uh, the LDS church. Now you're thinking, wait a minute, Annette did twelve, or Annette did three, so that takes us to twelve. I'm about to do ten, and then there will be one more. I've got the one more. Stress not. Here are the ten that uh, that uh, AI taught me. Let me start here because it it wants to make sure that I know that defining the top stories for the LDS Church in 2023 can be subjective, as different perspectives prioritize different events. However, based on various news sources and discussions within the community, here are 10 significant stories from 2023 categorized for clarity. So it starts with positive and then it goes to challenges and controversies. First five. So the are, AI made a list. They divide yeah. it into lists. It's a, it's a listicle. <laughs> I, that's why listicle. I love AI. Uh, positive developments. Number one, the temple boom. President Nelson announced a staggering 35 new temple locations throughout the year. Uh, mark our words, it'll be 500 by the year 2030. Not, not 500 in operation, but 500 in announcement, uh, in groundbreaking, in work, in process by uh, the year 2030. Uh, the second story that it says is the humanitarian aid. The church continued its robust humanitarian efforts, exceeding $1 billion in donations and impacting areas from mountain nutrition relief to, to disaster response, which I think is a big one. I think that we probably would have walked right past that one because it's not, it's not one particular uh, story. You know, we can talk about they went here and helped the earthquake people here and here in the flood there and the hurricane and all that. But when you look at it in totality, mm -hmm. I think that that's a big deal. Uh, it says uh, number three, according to AI, increased transparency. There's continued historical document releases, including Spencer W. Kimball's diaries, the final volumes of the Joseph Smith papers, and that uh, that both of those fostered greater transparency and engagement with church history. I would say that that's valid. Mm -hmm. Also, maybe the story of uh, the Joseph Smith papers concluding would make a story, but not as a whole, increased transparency being the story. Uh, number four, it says missionary success. A rise in missionary service, particularly young women, indicated renewed enthusiasm and commitment to sharing the gospel message. This is pretty good, AI. You did a good job. I wish I could pat AI on the shoulder, and I know I'm making creative people angry because, well, they're taking our jobs. But number five of the positive ones, community outreach. Various church departments and initiatives collaborated with organizations like UNICEF, furthering interfaith dialogue and humanitarian partnerships. So maybe a little bit general. I guess those are the top top five positive general stories. None of those really specific, I suppose, except for maybe the temple. Um, however, uh, challenges and controversies. And uh, it's interesting how well uh, AI was able to do something like this. It says number six, temple costs. Uh, there were leaks regarding the Pocatello, Idaho temple that fueled discussions about the escalating cost of temple construction and its potential impact on other church resources. And off the top of my head, that doesn't sound familiar to me. 
I mean, certainly the uh, the talk about uh, the increased cost of temples and that we're building more temples. But will you take a second while I'm telling everybody about number seven and eight and find out what that cost initially yeah. was and and what was leaked as to how much more it'll be so we can share on that? Uh, yeah. Number seven, certainly we talked about this, including doing a whole episode about it here in the Cultural Hall, the Heber Valley Temple controversy. Uh, the proposed Heber Valley Temple location ignited community backlash, concerns about environmental impact, and lack of local consensus. And I would slash Heber Valley with the Cody, Wyoming Temple. Um, I think that that's just as much. Uh, number eight, according to AI, says social media debates, issues like LGBTQ plus inclusion and women's roles in the church continued to provoke online debate and highlight existing theological and cultural tensions. I think in general, that's the biggest story, but there were probably specific examples of that that would be highlighted in a top story of 2023. Do you have the answer on the Pocatello or on the, uh, on the, yeah, Pocatello? Just not, not, yeah, not a ton of why this was a huge controversy, but they're talking about just the expenditures, you know, again, because the the church has all, all this huge portfolio, so they said an example of temple expenditures, this is the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, the newspaper pointed to uh, Idaho's Pocatello Temple, which cost an estimated $69 million to build. The single-spired three-story, 71,000-square-foot edifice features polished limestone flooring quarried in Bethlehem. Da, 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 da. And, and, oh, and wood forest doors imported from the Congo River region. So that's kind okay. of cool. So just super so expensive. It was just sort of like, yeah, it's ex- it's expensive. Yeah. And uh, and maybe and maybe the fact that we get we got a number with it, because I can't tell you what, uh, you know, what the, the uh, Feather River Temple costs, right? We know it's right. expensive. We know they get the finest things, but we don't know a number. Maybe that's the big deal of why it was such an issue. Um, so that is uh, that story. Let me go back to my list. AI generated number nine, media scrutiny. Church policies and practices faced increased scrutiny from mainstream media outlets, prompting ongoing dialogues on transparency and public relations. Okay. And then number 10, doctrinal discussions, internal discussions on interpretations of church doctrine, particularly surrounding the Adam Andai Amon site and other historical topics continue to evolve and challenge members' perspectives. So I don't for further recall explanation. anything about Adam Andai Amon in the news this year. Hmm. Uh, maybe something with, uh, I mean, uh, Book of Mormon musical is starting to become one of the longest running things. And in that they reference, mm, maybe you know, they, they reference Adam on Diamond. I will Not say one thing with the whole church, more transparency and all this kind of stuff. Um, I came across a, a part of a John Dillon video and he, I'm, I just full disclosure, he, he pisses me off on so many levels. <laughs> Jeez. Um, what <laughs> I just said, geez, yes. yeah, you, such he, language from a lady. Yeah, um, but he—he he was. I mean, and the, the, there are plenty. There are plenty of things you can justly criticize the church for. I'm not going to, you know, say there are not. But one thing he was saying is like, as proof of of the church being this horrible organization was that the money the church has paid out to sexual abuse victims. Mm. And I was like, isn't that trying to make it be- like what? <laughs> Yeah, shouldn't yeah. we be doing that? I think that I think that's that's a good thing. I, I I don't see the problem. I think we we're doing better as far as 
you know, too deep leadership and the windows and the doors and all, all the different, you know, and we're moving forward in a better way. And those people who were hurt earlier, I don't think it's a bad thing for us to be saying, yeah, that was wrong. Here's some money to like, it was sure. a very odd criticism. I was like, dude, that's, sure. that's called accountability. You freaking idiot. Yeah, I suppose it's speculation. If I were to put myself in his shoes and I don't want to be, I would probably say something like the fact that we don't know how much over time the church mm-hmm. has paid out in something like that. Again, another thing where it's like, we know that uh, we know that they have, but we don't know how much and how often and what it was in the year. Or if, I, or I if it was like, that. here's money to keep your mouth shut. I think yeah. that's probably, I'm guessing that was his, you know, yeah. his argument yeah. anyway. So <sighs> that's uh, 22 stories. The 23rd story is this. Uh, I, I, uh, I do not want to do this lightly, nor do I want to... Uh, you know, I, uh, whatever I'm, I, this is no sort of like threat or anything like that, but it is interesting to me as I've looked over the last couple of years, um, the growth as far as like Patreon, the, the growth as far as like listenership to the cultural hall and we're doing great. No one should be, uh, worried that, uh, you know, that it's not healthy, but what it isn't is growing in a way that, uh, that I would like it to. And so, uh, the 23rd news story for 2023 uh, I I have no way to define this. I don't know what I'm actually saying, but I am looking at um, doing this entirely differently after this year, potentially not doing this anymore. And that's not something I want to do. And I don't know what that would really be. And my wife would tell you, there's no way you're not going to do it. And she's probably right. But um, as we look at this year and look at some of the episodes already recorded, we do really great things. Um we're leaning into YouTube. If you have not found and followed us over on YouTube, uh, it's, you know, youtube.com forward slash the cultural hall, or just search the cultural hall. You can see a lot of our interviews there. Uh, there's the Patreon group. There's the cultural hall back row. We do a lot. We're going to do uh, a lot this year and we're going to do some things different. But the thing that I would say, the thing that I would ask that I would plead and that I would say, you know, cause, cause you like it. If you don't like it, I understand why you haven't done it. But if you do like it and you haven't taken an action on any of these things, I would I would encourage you to do so. Um, growth, I guess, to me uh, equates, hey, have you heard this great thing that I listened to? I want to share that with you. And, and so when uh, numbers aren't going up, it makes me think, okay, well, people don't like it. Um, you know, people, people, th- those episodes aren't good and they don't want to do it. Or in the, my worst of worst times, well, I, I start to think about things like, well, fine, if they don't like it, well, I won't do it like a child. I recognize that to be a child. Um, so if you have some ideas, things that you would like us to do in 2024, uh, if you have been a fence sitter about becoming a Patreon saint, get off the fence uh, and and come join us, become a Patreon saint, be part of the secret but not sacred Facebook group. Um even okay let's go a different step on that if you love books and you hear the authors and you want to purchase the book use the link that we have in our episodes because we have affiliate links and people can you know help us out that way if you're like i don't want something for nothing you do it for free that's fine a one time donation that's great we're not a 501c3 so you know we don't have a, that tax advantage but if you would like to we would welcome it in whatever way you can share the show, like the show, tell people about it, share an episode. 
recommend the guest and then share the heck out of that guest that you can say, hey, I brought that to you. But help us grow in 2024 or maybe you'll see us go. Is that the is that the thing? Help us grow or see us go? I don't know. That's, that's not as catchy as I maybe thought that would be when I said that. Anyway, uh, contact at theculturalhall.com or find us on any of the social medias at The Cultural Hall. What say you at the end, Annette? I always let a lady have the last word. That you do? That I do? That I do let the ladies have the last <laughs> I word? I don't remember how, having that be a thing. But so I, yes, amen to what Richie just said. There's a lot of people behind the scenes doing a lot of work. So if you appreciate it and there's something you can do to just support it, click a link. If you're going to buy that book, see if the cultural law has a link for it. That might help a little bit. Just add a few penny. doesn't cost you anything more than that. Share it with your friends. All the things. All the things. Yeah. Okay. Well, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body. We hope that if you are sick and afflicted, you'll be able to listen next week. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast. We'll be saving a seat for you. On the back row. Of? Of? The Cultural Hall. The Cultural Hall. Hall. See? You got the last word. Excellent. Save me a seat. It's sure to be neat. On the back row. We really got to go. Hall show. Ow.